Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you are encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from Pastor Kevin Miller. Today is part two of a message series that we're calling Aftermath. And what we're learning in this series, uh, we, we launched it last weekend, we're learning what it looks like to live, to, we're just kind of assessing life and ministry in the wake of disaster. What happens after uh, in the aftermath of loss or disaster or tragedy in some way. And that, of course, doesn't imply that we're out as a nation of what we've been in, but we're just assessing our lives in this unique season that we're in. And we're really believing, too, that this series goes beyond that. That I, I'm, I'm praying that beyond the unique season that we're in, this series would not only be a, a field guide for us, but years to come. People could watch this message series, I'm hoping, in 2025, and it'll help them through a, a messy divorce or a financial loss or the death of a loved one. And as we look back on our lives and we, we navigate some challenging areas, it's always important for us to figure out how do we live in the aftermath of whatever has just taken place. So if you're here, if you were here with us last weekend, um, we started this series with kind of like the triage. You guys know when, when you, uh, when you go through some sort of devastating thing, the first thing you have to do right away is you have to assess where is my attention needed the most. And we talked last week about a a lot about this and how we have to be willing to ask the hard questions lovingly into people's lives. If we love people, we're going to go out of our way to not just say, how are you? But like, really, how are you? And, and help people in that way. We, we also have to have the courage to give honest answers. And we talked about um, facing the issues head on. And so today now, we move on to kind of like the second phase, and that is reprioritizing. So here's what I want you to do with me. If, if you would, um, humor me on this. Close your eyes right now where you are. If you're watching online, close, close your eyes. And I want you to just picture a scene with me. I want you, if you can, to just put yourself in your apartment or your house, wherever it is that you live. And here's the scene. There is a wildfire in the city that you're living in. If you're here in Clarksville or if you're joining us online somewhere else, there's a wildfire in your city. And you've been watching it on the news and the sky has been filling with ash And it turns out you were hoping it would stay away from your neighborhood, but it's right at the end of your neighborhood now. And so you've just received the message that you need to evacuate your neighborhood. You have moments left to grab what you need to in your home, get in your car, and go, leaving everything behind not knowing what will be left. I want you to put yourself in that scene right now. And now I want you to just kind of mentally walk through, run through frantically your house and your apartment, wherever you live. And I want you to just think for a moment, what is it that you grab? Who is it that you you pick up and carry out of the house? What goes with you in the car as you abandon the neighborhood? Think about it for a moment. Because the reality is the things... The people that you make sure are secure are the things that matter most in your life. Now open your eyes. This is a scenario, a real-life scenario that played out uh, a few years ago uh, for John Foreman, who's the lead singer of one of my favorite bands, Switchfoot. 
And uh, back in 2016, they live in San Diego, California. There were wildfires raging through Southern California. And uh, their house, um, they were thinking it, it might not survive the fires. And so he wrote a song called If the House Burns Down Tonight. And I was reading a little bit about kind of the story behind the lyrics. And I thought it was so fitting for us in a time of reprioritizing and, and realigning our thoughts with what matters most. Here's what he wrote. He said, a few months back, a fire was raging through our hometown of San Diego. And when an unstoppable fire is barreling down towards your part of town, you realize just how small you really are. The smoke blocks out the sun, the ash is falling from the sky, and your lungs begin to burn. So you run through the house and make a quick grab of the stuff you can carry, Make sure that your family is safe in the car and you make your escape. And in that moment of action, you have an epiphany. Compared to the ones you love, what is ownership? What is property, stuff, possessions? In moments of life and death, these obsessions are meaningless. Think about what you would save from the fire. What would you fight for? Or maybe the real question is, who? Who would you risk your life for? And what about your things, all of that stuff that you paid so much for? In the crucible of the fire, it becomes crystal clear. You let the rest burn. And I was like, man, what perspective. And, and you know, here's the valuable thing about where we're going today. And I think the, the season, the unique season that our church, our lives, our families, and I would say our world is in right now. Disaster tragedy, and in our unique case, months apart, social distancing, global pandemic, the, one of the, the powerful things that these things are able to do in our lives is they help redefine and realign what really are the most important things in our lives. Are you feeling that right now? I don't know about you, but I'm feeling that in this season where I'm realizing that there were a lot of things that I, w- I thought were so important in my life And as I've started to assess my life again, I'm just realizing a lot of that stuff doesn't really matter. And there's really only a few things that, speaking in my context, in my life, for our ministry, that we would put in the car and save as we're running from the fire. And so, in Nehemiah chapter 2 and 3, that's that's what we want to learn, is, is... how to reprioritize. Now, just kind of context for where we're going today in Nehemiah chapter 2, if you're not aware of the story, uh, Jerusalem and its inhabitants had been uh, destroyed and taken captive by the Babylonians. And they were, uh, they, were, they were in captivity for quite a while. The city of Jerusalem was basically a ghost town for over 70 years. The temple was rebuilt, but the walls and the gates were, were broken down. And so because of that, anybody could come in at any time and steal and loot. And so there was no safety. It, there was fear and shame that the people of Jerusalem, the few that were there, were living in constantly. And so Nehemiah had a burden, God-given burden on his heart. He's living in the aftermath of destruction. Destruction. And he had a God-given burden on his heart to go to the city of Jerusalem, assess the damage, and begin to rebuild. And that's where we pick up at the end of Nehemiah chapter 2. They start a building project, and I'm calling today's message, write it down, walls don't build themselves. Have you figured that out? Legos don't build themselves. 
puzzles don't build themselves. Walls don't build themselves. It just can't happen. And here's what I want us to, to, to grasp today. Today is, prepare yourself, a call to action for our church. We're, we're talking specifically today in the context of ministry and Awakened Church and those of us who would call ourselves part of Awakened Church. Now, anybody who's not yet, you wouldn't, you're, maybe you're new or you're just trying to check it out, that's, that's great, and we're so glad you're here. I want you to know there's a lot in this for you as well. And so the value of what we're going to talk about today is that I'm going to, I'm going to share some things from Nehemiah 2 and 3 that I believe are pivotal priorities for our church moving forward. But what's great about these things is we can personalize them and use them in our own lives as well. These are not just like quote unquote church ministry things, but these are personal things that we'll be able to look back at and put to work in our lives that will help us in any kind of cleanup that we have to go through in many different phases in our lives. So we're going to talk today about how if we're going to move forward after disaster, it's going to take work. Walls don't build themselves. Nehemiah chapter 2, let's look in verse 17. We're starting with a scene where uh, Nehemiah has finally reached the city of Jerusalem. He's assessed the damage and he knows what needs to be, begin happening. And now he's uh, meeting with the leaders of the city. Nehemiah 2 verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Or you could say shame. And we no longer have to live in shame, he says. Verse 18, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Verse 20, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Shut down. I love Nehemiah. I see six things in uh, Nehemiah chapter two and three. We got to go through these real quick. Six things that I believe are the the six things that we're going to throw in the car as we're running. As we're fleeing the scene, I believe these are the most important things for us to, to continue to move forward. And in the words of John Foreman, we'll let the rest burn. We'll let the rest, the, the other stuff, if it, if it makes it, it makes it. No big deal. But if we have these six things, we've got what we need. And this goes for our church, but this also goes for our lives as well. Number one, write this down. We need vision. If we're going to move forward, we have to know where we're headed. And I love Nehemiah because he's a visionary leader. If you want to learn about visionary leadership, you got to read, you got to study the book of Nehemiah. This guy's amazing. Here's what he does. He puts, he, he doesn't just point out the problem, although he does point it out, but he doesn't stop there. He says, yeah, we're, we're in trouble and Jerusalem lies in ruins. But notice he puts himself into the problem as well. He wasn't currently living in Jerusalem, but now he says, look at the trouble we are in. And then he puts himself as part of the solution. 
He says, come let us build. He invites them to be a part of it. And then he helps them envision a day, end of verse 17, that they're no longer living in fear and shame. This is so powerful because, you know, in a, in a, in, back in the Bible days, if a city didn't have walls, then they couldn't have anything nice. There was no protection. I mean, it would be like if we lived in a tent. There's just very little protection for anybody could come in at any time. The, the elements could get to us very easily. So that's kind of where the city of Jerusalem was at the time. And, and so Nehemiah helps them envision a day where they don't have to live in fear and shame any longer. And I, I'm so thankful for this because I think too many of us just think, we just start to embrace that this is all, the brokenness in my life is just always how it's going to be apparently. Apparently I'm just an addict and I'll never break the addiction. Some of you have bought into that lie. Apparently I'm just terrible at relationships and I'll never have a healthy one. Apparently, I'm just, I've gone too far. Apparently, nobody wants me, and you just begin to accept the brokenness. I wonder how many of these people in Jerusalem just kind of got to a place where they're like, I guess this is always how it's going to be. And we need to learn to surround ourselves with some God-given visionary leaders like Nehemiah that say, hey, look, look around. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Help, let me help you imagine a day where you're not living in fear and shame anymore. I need some more Nehemiahs in my life. Some people who, who will help me rise above, put themselves in the problem with me, invite me into the solution, and then help me visualize a day where it's not the way that it is. We need to work hard to surround ourselves with visionary leaders like Nehemiah. You know, here's the good thing about God's vision. Let me contrast it with your vision. If you are trying to get to the place that is your vision, then you, you only need to rely on your strength to get there. But if you're trying to get to God's vision, the good thing is you need God's strength to get there. So the value of God's vision is it forces your reliance on his strength to pull it off. We need vision. Second thing we need is God's faithfulness. Verse 18 um, Nehemiah tells them, he says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. Now, here's the good thing about God's faithfulness. This isn't something that we have to like conjure up or create. This is only something we have to remember was always there. God's faithfulness. You with me on that? It's not something that we have to craft. We don't have to write out this, come up with a story of God's faithfulness. We just got to look back. Our problem is our memory. That's all it is. In fact, if anything, what we're talking about here about God's faithfulness is we have to fight against our tendency to forget God's faithfulness. You know what I've found is that as I move forward in life and ministry, it's so easy to begin to forget the great things that God has done. And I've found that forgetfulness is the enemy of my faith. I've found that the critics and the conflict along the way of following Jesus can create this like spiritual amnesia where I, st- I know it. I know God's always been good. I know God's always been faithful, but I can start to leave it behind because the critics are so loud 
or the conflict is so painful. And as I face that, that can start to drown out the voice of reality. So we got to fight to for, fight against our forgetfulness, our tendency to forget that God's always been faithful and he's not going to stop being faithful now. In fact, so much of our future success lies anchored in our ability to remember God's faithfulness in the past. So we need, we need vision, but we need God's faithfulness. We work along the way, but we just remember this is God's work. He's always been doing it long before I got on the scene. He's always been faithful. We got to preach to ourselves and, and, and remind ourselves of that. Here's the third thing we need. We need strength. Verse 18, as he's talking with the Jerusalem leaders, it says, as he invited them in, in verse 18, it says, they strengthened their hands for the work. Our need for strength reminds us that the work is hard. And as simple as that may sound, I think that that's a timely reminder for us because too many of us don't want hard work. In fact, we tend to ask God for an easy life. Let's reverse that. Instead of asking God for easy work, let's ask God for strength for the hard work. You with me on that? Because God did not put you on this planet so that you could have a cushy, easy life and coast into eternity. We have all of the rest of eternity to rest. What do they say? I'll I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? Like we have all of the rest of eternity to rejoice and rest, but right now we've got work to do. The day's coming in heaven where you won't have one more opportunity to tell somebody about the hope of Jesus Christ. That, that day's coming. In heaven, there's no more evangelism. Everybody there knows Jesus. While we're here, you have purpose. As long as your breath has lungs, as long as your, your heart, your heart beat, your, your lungs have breath and your heart is beating, God is at work in your life and he gave you a new purpose for today to walk in. And so we're going to need strength for the work. You know, what's funny about strength is that I've, if you think about like your days in school, you can cram for a test the night before, and some of you can do pretty good on that test as though you actually read the, read the book and, I don't know, did some homework and, I don't know, paid attention in class. You could actually stay up till three in the morning cramming and then, you know, kind of basically fake it till you make it on the test and pass the class. There's... Some of us, I won't name names, that have done that. But when it comes to strength, it's different. You know what I found is that you can't cram for strength. I am reminded of this physically every Thanksgiving when, as a church, we come together for the, uh, the Pass the Turkey 5K race. We get like 100, 100 people out there, and we're going to run three miles. And I trained once for that on Tuesday before we ran. And I'm like, yeah, I've been training. I ran Tuesday, one mile, right? You, you can't, like, if you're going to run a marathon, you can't cram for it like you did your biology test. If you're going to run a marathon, you can't stay up till 3 a.m. running and then show up to the marathon and just really knock it out. It'll knock you out, right? Strength takes time to build. That's what I'm trying to get at. So the, here's, here's where I'm going. The disciplines that we are building now are preparing us for battles we don't even know yet are coming. Now, now let, me, let me flip that. 
The disciplines you are unwilling to develop now are leaving you unprepared for the battles that lie ahead. You need strength. The battle's hard. The work is strenuous. Thank God he hasn't called us to an easy, lazy life. He's called us to a life of purpose, and that comes with struggle. So come on, let's be Nehemiah 2.18 people, and let's strengthen our hands for the good work. We need vision. We need God's faithfulness. We need strength. Number four, we need perseverance. Verse 19 and 20, we meet these guys, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, which don't their names just sound like villains in a story? You know, like dun, 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 Sanballat and Tobiah. I imagine as a cartoon, they have like pointy chins and goatees, you know? They just look devious. So here's Sanballat and Tobiah. The, you'll, you'll read about them if you continue on in, in, throughout the book of Nehemiah. He's just constantly harassed by these guys. I've found that God's work attracts hard workers and troublemakers. And in my 16 years of, of full-time ministry, I have met a lot of Sanballats and Tobias. They've never gone by that name, but they always have a very similar purpose. Distract and derail and divide. That's often what happens. Now, I'm not here to point fingers at humans because we know in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says our, our battle is not actually against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers. There's a spiritual battle. But unfortunately, there are humans who sometimes even unwittingly involve themselves with that battle and begin to cause division, and that's Sanballa and Tobiah right here. So the, the ministry, the work of God, often attracts colorful characters like this. It's kind of like in Tennessee when you go out on the back porch and you flip on the light at night. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You got about five minutes until all the bugs are there and they're just swarming all around the light, right? And you just got to, oh, we got to go inside. Oh, let's get out of here. You either keep the light off or you go inside. In, in ministry, when you flip the light on in the darkness, the bugs are going to come. The sand ballots and Tobias. There's going to be challenge is what I'm saying. You're going to need some perseverance because there's going to be some people that you just don't see eye to eye with. And there's going to be challenge along the way. We're going to talk about unity here in a moment. But let's talk about Nehemiah's response and the perseverance that he exemplifies. Because what he does here, you got to notice this. He does not stop the work to debate them. He does not stop the important leadership uh, moment that he's in to come down off the wall and debate them and argue with them and, and barter back and forth with them. He doesn't comment on their Facebook posts. Come on, in our social media world, why are we arguing on social media? When has this ever helped anybody ever? It makes you look petty and it does not move anything forward. Stop arguing on social media. That's my, I'm gonna, that's the end of the sermon right there. Just knock it off. Okay, actually, I have a few more points. He didn't come down and stop the work and argue with them. And I love what he did. He took all of their mockery and their questions and their accusations, and he responded with one short, concise truth. Did you see it in Nehemiah 2, verse 20? He says this, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, 
but you have no portion, no right, and no claim in Jerusalem. Good day, sir, I think is probably how he ended it. He just shut them down. He's not argue. He doesn't have time to argue and play their little petty games. God's called me, and I know who I am, and I know what I'm supposed to be, and I don't have time for these arguments. We got to stop listening to the lies of the devil in our lives and start telling him where he really belongs, right? Come on. In our lives, the devil has no right and no portion and no claim in your marriage. The devil has no right, no portion, no claim over your children. You got too much work to do to argue with the devil. He has no portion, no right, no claim over your finances, over your past, over your present, over your future. In the name of Jesus, we are forgiven and we move forward. We're victorious. He's overcome the grave. I don't have time to play the games with the devil. Come on. We got to take this Nehemiah leadership and just tell the enemy what's true. And I love it. He says, the God of heaven will prosper us. We're going to work. Here's what I think about you. God's working. We're working. Get out of the way. In summary. Here's a fifth thing we need. Unity. Chapter 3 is interesting. Um, if you've looked ahead at all or, or, or read it, chapter 3 can uh, seem a little boring at first. I'll just, I, I said it, it seems a little boring. Um, it's basically a summary from the author's standpoint of all of the people who were building all of the different parts of the wall. So it's about as thrilling as reading a list from like a building contractor that tells you his payroll for the day. These guys are working in this area. And then this Jewish guy, who I can't pronounce his name, is in this area. And then this family is working on this part of the wall. And he works counterclockwise around the city of Jerusalem, naming off the names and all of the different areas that these people are. That's the entire chapter, all of chapter 3. It may seem boring, but there's a lot here if you dig. What you're going to find is that this is a very diverse group of people. They're working on some uh, uh, around 40 sections of the wall that are listed, and they're doing all kinds of different work. It says they're building, they're consecrating, they're setting, they're repairing, they're doing all kinds of things on the wall. There's a lot of unique people. They're doing a lot of unique work, but they've got one goal. Build. We're going to build the walls. That's the thing that united them. Can I remind you, as a church, as Christians, we can't get far or do much without unity. Let me say it again. We can't get far, and we're not going to be able to do much if we can't stay united. The Bible talks about us in, in, all throughout New Te- the New Testament as a, as a family, a body. If we're a family, that means we don't give up on each other. That means we don't walk away. That means if we're a family, if we're a body, and we're all parts of the body, then I need you and you need me. That means we love each other even when we don't like each other. Because, come on, sometimes we don't like each other. But we're a family. We don't give up on each other. That means when we have a problem, guess what we do? We go talk to the person that we have a problem with. We don't put them on blast on Facebook. Right? Come on. This is not how Christians behave. 
Christians, we go, hey, listen, I don't see eye to eye with you on this. Let's sit down and talk it out. And there's going to be a lot of things that we're just at the end of the day not going to agree on. That's okay. What matters most is we're united around the things that matter, and we're against the devil, and we're for Jesus. We're building. We're part of something here. God's called us to something bigger, and we're not going to give up on one another. Why? Because there is more at stake for our unity than just your picky ideas, just your preferences. The gospel is at stake with our unity. When we, when we lose our unity, we lose our witness. This is why Jesus, one of the final things he prayed for us before he went to the cross was that we would be one like he and the Father are one. In fact, Jesus prayed in his prayer, John 17, that if we would be united, if the church, if his people would be united as, as Jesus was with the Father, that they would know who Jesus, the world would know who Jesus is. In other words, our unity helps to prove his identity. It's that important. This is why Paul the Apostle wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 about us striving together for the unity of the Spirit. That means giving it all we've got to stay united. If we're a family, this is what we do. And chapter 3 exemplifies that. Let me just tell you this. If the world ever needed to see a united church, it's right now. There's division everywhere you look. Politics, race, socioeconomic classes. I mean, you just go down the list and there's left and right and up and down and everybody's got an opinion and everybody's offended. Not here, right? Sure, we've got our opinions, we've got our our, our things, we've got our disagreements, but we're united because God's called us to something bigger than my own personal preferences. We're going to stay united around the vision and where God's leading us, and we're going to build. Let us rise and build. Here's the sixth thing you need. We all need this. It's teamwork. Um, obviously, uh, uh, again, just to kind of revisit Nehemiah chapter 3, there's a very diverse group of, of people at work here. Uh, if you read through Nehemiah chapter 3, you're going to find men and women. You're going to find priests. These are, these are people building the wall. Follow me. Priests building the wall. Is that the job of a priest? Not normally. It is in Nehemiah chapter 3. You're going to find goldsmiths building the wall. Read it, Nehemiah chapter 3. You're going to find perfumers. I don't even know what a perfumer is. I imagine it's the person that you follow on Instagram that's constantly trying to sell you something. Come on. They're selling their perfume normally on Instagram, but they put it down so they could build the wall for a little while. Nehemiah chapter 3 says there's rulers who are building the wall. There's, there's one scene where there's a father and his daughters that are building the wall. Daddy-daughter date, let's go build the wall. Temple servants, merchants. But you know what's interesting in Nehemiah chapter 3? Unless they just didn't include them, I don't read one mention of a professional construction worker or wall builder. Wouldn't you think that would be like, the main people listed in Nehemiah chapter 3, rebuilding the wall. But they're not there. So this reminded me of the unique season that we're in here at Awaken. They were in a unique season. They're in the aftermath. 
There's work that has to get done, but they can't wait on the, the hired professional crew to come do all the work. So the people who it wasn't normally their job picked up the tools, learned how to use them, and got to work. This reminds me of the season that we're in as a church. Across our campus, online, we're running skeleton crews everywhere you look. And typically the way, the way that we like to work here at Awaken is we, w- we want to find the gift in the person. We want to find out what has God wired you with, the gift that God has given you. And then we want to take that and, and plug you into a specific place where that works really well here around the church. Typically that's how we run. We're not in a typical season. We're in an aftermath season. So we're not going to wait around for all the pros to come in. What we really need right now is a bunch of willing people who say, hey, I'm a, I'm a priest, I'm a goldsmith, I'm a perfumer. I don't normally build the walls, but if you'll train me with the hammer, I'll get to work. We need some people who just go, hey, I'm willing. And that may not normally be my spot, but if you need somebody there, I'm there. What I love about Awaken is that there's a lot of those people already. What Awaken needs more of is a lot more of those people who would just pick up something and get to work. And it may not be the place that God always has you, but it's a place where you could serve right now. Just be faithful with it right now. Meet some needs right now. This is so important in, in the day and age that we're, that we're living in. Specifically, right now, here's a good example of a place that that's needed at the 1015 service. I think this is our fifth, fifth Sunday back after quarantine. And for about the last four weeks, three or four weeks at the 1015, we've had to close about half of our awakened kids because we just don't have enough teachers. And that's not because people don't know about that need. In fact, on our RSVP page, when you go to reserve a seat, if you're joining us here in person, you did that. Uh, one of the things that you'll notice is it says no, no awakened kids in these age groups because there's no teachers. And then there's a call to action. Please con- consider serving. And there's an email. Here's how to consider serving. Guess what? One person in about a month has ever reached out about that. One person. So here's what this tells me. It's so easy for us to wait around for somebody else to do the work. But we're in a unique aftermath season where we just need some people to say, hey, I I could commit for a little while. And if that's an area of need, then I'd like to help. Maybe that's not my specialty, but man, I'm here. I don't want to just sit and take. I want to give. I want to be a part of something. I'll I'll give you a few examples of some of the amazing people that we have serving around around Awaken. Now, I won't use their names because I don't want to steal their heavenly rewards, okay? Um we got some pretty amazing people who serve all around the church. Uh, a few months ago, there was one of our guys who runs uh, the, the lyrics and the slides during services. And I came in on a Sunday, and he, uh, he, was, he was using the mouse with this hand, and he had this arm in a cast elevated. And I was like, what happened? And so he told me the story. He had broken his arm in two places, and... He was here with the cast elevating his arm while he's running slides. And I was like, and you're here at church? And he looked at me with a a completely serious look on his face. And he goes, where else would I be? 
And I was like, we need more of that attitude around here. We need, mo- we need more of that. There, there was a, there, if you were here for drive-in fireworks last Sunday, which, by the way, come on, that was amazing. What a show. We had a, we had a team serve, parking cars, serving concessions, uh, helping all around the parking lot. One of the guys who was, was here helping... He's in this weird place right now where the doctors can't figure out what's going on in his head. He's got these terrible migraines that leads to a lot of vertigo. It's often kind of just the world's kind of slowly spinning for him in his his head. It's disorienting. But he he doesn't want that to stop him from being a part of the church. And so this guy last Sunday, just so he could help, they got him a chair... And he sat in the parking lot and waved cars in to park with his vertigo, vertigo and migraines. Last Sunday, one of the, one of the people who was serving here uh, uh, at, the, at the drive-in fireworks, she told me afterwards, she was like, I said, hey, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in months. How are you? And she's like, I'm actually not doing really well right now. I need to go. I just had surgery. She told me after serving for hours here last Sunday, she told me she had 23 stitches in her mouth from a recent surgery. That hurt me just to say that sentence just now. And she had been here for hours just grateful to be a part of what God was doing. And and she got to be participating here. We've recently had some elementary and middle school girls join our parking team, waving cars in on Sunday, greeting cars as they come in. Now, I say all of that not to shame anybody, but to bring some light to some of the amazing people that we have serving here because there's too many of us that allow a hard week or just a lazy morning to prevent us from meeting needs and serving people here at the church. And I just think we need a lot more Nehemiah chapter 3 people who will just be like, hey, I don't, that may not be my area of specialty, but hand me a hammer and I'll get to work. Right? Because walls don't build themselves. It doesn't work that way. Nehemiah had the task. This was a massive task, by the way, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Huge task that required visionary leadership, mass participation, large-scale organization. And as big and as important as it was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, can I remind you that you and I have been tasked with the goal of joining Jesus to, to build his church? As big as this was, rebuilding some walls, we're a part of a global movement called the church. And the walls aren't going to build themselves. Listen very closely, church. The kids aren't going to teach themselves. The coffee doesn't make itself. The tent and the tables outside, they don't assemble themselves. So we need some people who say, I'm in. Wherever I got to go, whatever I got to do, just I'm, I'm in the game. And listen, you know what's so amazing about this? As you just step out and start serving somewhere, God's going to not only use you in somebody else's life, but what you'll find is God use your, uses your work in your own life. We say this all the time. We don't want you for serving. We want serving for you. It'll change you. you when, when we get to be a part of it and shoulder the weight together, God does something in our lives 
together. So today is a call to action, really. I'm praying that today helps us reprioritize and realign what is really important and what is really not important. What ruts have I gotten into? What lazy habits have I allowed to take over in my life? And what do I need to change? And I pray today would be a day where, we, where, where you just hear me say loud and clear, wherever you are, whoever you are, there's a place for you here. God has called you. He's equipped you. He's equipped you. He has a purpose for your life. And if you don't know Jesus, listen, the starting line is not about how much you give or where you serve. The starting line is you need Jesus in your life. Jesus is the the Savior of all mankind. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. The wages of sin, what we have earned because of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is our hope. And if you don't know Jesus, that's the starting line. That's where we have to begin. And today, today could be that, that pivotal changing moment in your life. If you don't know Jesus, we need to start there. If you know Jesus, where are you going to start? What are you going to do? God's given everything to you. What are you going to give back? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.